We're going to be continuing in our series on the book of Mark uh, from chapter 4. Beginning in verse 21, it says, He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. The word of God for the people of God. So we've spent now 14 weeks studying the book of Mark, and we are nearing the end of chapter 4. I am becoming that person that I loathe, but we will we'll be okay. Um, some of my OCD tendencies are coming out, just making sure that we get all the good stuff from, from these verses. Uh, however, we've seen certain characteristics about Jesus be true over these first few chapters. Namely, Jesus has arrived on the scene announcing the kingdom, and we've seen that announcement being backed up by the things that Jesus actually does, the miracles that um, he performs the way that he's able to heal, the way, the, the way that he is able to cast out demons. He is showing himself to be one who is filled with authority and power in a way that's completely distinct from anyone else at this time. Last week, we began to see Jesus teaching in parables, and in particular, the parable that we looked at is one of the most common in all of the New Testament. It's the parable of the sower, where one goes out to sow seed, and some of the seed falls onto the path, and some of the seed falls onto rocky soil, and some of the seed uh, springs up and then is choked out by thorns, and then some seed finds its uh, rooting in fertile soil. We began to wrestle a little bit with what the implications of that parable are for us, and what I was trying to commend to us is it's not just about self-analyzing, it's not just about seeing what kind of soil you are, but even in this parable, this, this cryptic teaching, Jesus is showing evidence of the kingdom, evidence that the kingdom is here, it's now, it's present. One author says, God's new age is arriving despite all evidence to the contrary. For the parable of the sower does not only describe successful seed, 
Three quarters of its space is devoted to unsuccessful seed. And this strange coexistence of the new and the old ages is for Mark the mystery of the dominion of God. It's not just what kind of soil are you, but we see in this, this story three out of four types of seed that don't accept this word. We see this announcement of the kingdom surrounded by obstinance and recalcitrance and perhaps suffering and perhaps difficulty where this, this word is not taking its root. The kingdom of God is invading the earth to be sure and Jesus is showing evidence of this yet we've also tried to wrestle with some of the um, difficult implications of this passage for us. The way that the kingdom was showing up for um, those first century Jews at this time was not anything that they could have anticipated and it was not something that they were expecting. N.T. Wright says people were expecting a great moment of renewal. They believed that Israel would be rescued lock, stock, and barrel. God's kingdom would explode onto the world stage in a blaze of glory. No, declares Jesus. It's more like a farmer sowing seed, much of which apparently goes to waste because the soil isn't fit for it and can't sustain it. This message that Jesus was preaching and teaching, the miracles that Jesus was doing, was revolutionary at the time. And I think for a lot of us, we've kind of missed that, um, and we have tamed Jesus into the one who offers us eternal life. At the time, though, his message was very politically charged. It was a message that if Rome understood the implications of what he was saying, um, would have probably led to his death even sooner than when it did. Jesus' message was not only one that, that Rome probably couldn't accept, but it was also one that Jews at the time could not accept. Even the good, God-fearing Jews, when Jesus was talking and doing these things, uh, they didn't quite understand what was happening. We talked a little bit last week about inaugurated eschatology. Say inaugurated eschatology. That's a beautiful thing. This is pretty much where we are right now, and the way that um, the first century Jews would have understood this is at some point, at some moment, God is going to redeem and reconstitute and restore Israel in a very dramatic way. Messiah would show up, and the end of whatever uh, political empire was bringing about oppression and suffering, they would be completely decimated. But Jesus, again, shows up performing miracles and teaching and sort of overturning the old. Still, of the first four chapters of, of Mark, the one that is ringing in the back of my mind as I see Jesus and, and try to understand what he's doing is this, is this battle cry of new wine into new wineskins. You can't contain this new, exciting, this new, um, difficult message in the structures of the old. You can't contain what Jesus was doing in the way that religion had been done in the past. We see Jesus doing something different. It wasn't that he was just bringing in this, this one single moment where everything would change in the way that those, um, that ancient audience would understand. He was bringing in this hybrid sort of time where he's announcing that the age that is to come is happening here and now, but it's happening amongst the types of seed that wouldn't accept the message. It was happening amongst the difficulties and the tension and the suffering that happens here and now. Even for those of us 2,000 years later, on the other side of the resurrection, we proclaim our hope and our faith in Christ. We understand that salvation has come and that God is restoring things in a completely new and exciting way, yet 
our lives are filled with moments of tension. They're filled with funeral services and they're filled with hospital room visits and they're filled with difficulty, they're filled with divorce, they're filled with brokenness, they're filled with moments that might not necessarily show evidence that Jesus has won. And Mark is trying to bring this to light in Jesus' teaching and the way that Jesus is talking through these parables, he is also demonstrating this tension that's happening because of his person and his work. One tension, and we're gonna look at four of them this evening, one tension is between the insiders and the outsiders. One of the things that was really tripping me up last week with the parable of the sower is, is how Jesus explains what's going on after he gives this teaching. He seems to divide the folks that have the ability and the capacity to understand what he's saying and those that don't. And the way he describes that is, is sort of, um, it's difficult to wrap our minds around. It says in, in verse 10, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. Again, still talking about the parable of the sower. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. This tells us a couple things. One, it tells us that that parable is not just about what kind of seed are you, but this is a parable about the kingdom and how it's invading earth even now. It's telling us in a sense that heaven is showing up right here, right now, through Jesus and through his work. But the other thing that it's telling us is some people it's been given to them to understand, some people it's not. He continues, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. That's a difficult text. Here what we see Jesus saying is, some of you it's been given to you to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. You can understand what I'm telling you and you can understand the works that I'm doing. And for others on the outside, they can't. In fact, he says, everything is said in parables so that they might be ever seeing, never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Some people, as I mentioned last week, have understood this as if Jesus just came out guns ablazing and said, this is what I'm about, this is who I am, this is what I'm here to do, he would have been killed immediately. Others see it um, as really highlighting the fact that there's some people that, that get it and some people that don't. What's interesting, if we just stay here for two seconds and camp out, the people on the outside that Jesus is referring to are the religious folks. They're the Pharisees of the time. They're the good, God-fearing Jews of his day. And in our context, the implications of that could be huge. A lot of times we try to box God in and say what he can and what he can't do. And a lot of times we try to predict what's gonna happen and we try to just fit everything into this little nice, neat package of who's in and who's out. And we find ourselves perhaps cruising down the street, making judgments on people just from seeing them or hearing them or watching them. And what Jesus seems to be saying is it's, it's not quite that simple. Especially when you think about the people that he picked to be his 12 and the people that were following him in droves. This is the, according to society, the lowest of the low. The people that, that were picked over by other rabbis that no one wanted to, them to follow. It wasn't the people that were the best of the best. It was the people that uh, were just normal, everyday fishermen. The people um, like Levi who sat at the tax collector's booth and ripped off his 
countrymen, his friends perhaps. It was the people that were highly politically charged and um, trying to inaugurate their own kingdom, so to speak. The people that were surrounding Jesus to which he says, you guys get it. The parables that I'm speaking in, it's been given to you to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. And if you look from side to side, it's, well, you don't really belong here, and you don't really belong here, and that person doesn't belong here. It's it's the people that didn't seem to fit. Whenever I, I think about this kind of who's in and who's out, it makes me wonder what kind of judgments we've made, who we have written off from receiving this gospel, who've we already, already written off as God is not moving in their lives, the people that we have, have just given up on. In this story, there's a subtle, very subtle hand on the back and push through the door of don't be so quick to level judgment on people. Especially when you understand people's stories and where they've come from. A lot of these folks that Jesus was ministering to, they had baggage and they had difficulty and they had um, heartbreak as a part of their story. And for us, as we sit here, we live in that tension of who's in and who's out. And a lot of times the people that we say are out have gone through things that we can't really even imagine or begin to place ourselves in their shoes. I would encourage you, and here we see some of this, to to not give up on those people. And we see how this plays out for Jesus as he continues. Yes, there's this tension between the insiders and the outsiders, and we see how that that plays out uh, in this story. There's also a tension between the hiddenness of this message and the revelation of this message. In the parable of the sower, it seems as though Jesus is trying to hide this message from people trying to make it cryptic and trying to disallow them from hearing the message. Now, in the the text that we're looking at tonight, that tension sort of goes away because it says, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? Another way that you could translate this, and this is a little bit weirder, which is why um, things like the NIV don't really go here, does the lamp come that it might be put under the bushel or under the bed. So here we see this specific thing, this lamp, and it causes us to question what that might be. It's not just this metaphor, it's, it's, it's something a, a bit richer where the lamp is this message of the kingdom. Does this, this message and arrival of the kingdom, and not only the kingdom, but the one who's talking about the kingdom, Jesus, does this show up just so that it can be hidden from people? He continues, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Again, N.T. Wright says, this is Jesus' mindset here. I'm telling you these things now in secret, but the reason for announcing the kingdom, for bringing God's light into the world is so that everyone will see it. It's not just some people get it and some people don't. It's not just I'm speaking in code so that they will never get it. It goes beyond that into there's going to come a time when this message is made available to everyone. The point is simply that everyone is going to hear this message and to the people that Jesus is talking to, his disciples and those who are following him, those that were sitting at his feet, those that were understanding what was going on, he says to them, listen well right now. Begin to grow in your knowledge and your understanding of who I am and who the kingdom is so that when the time comes, you'll understand it even more. 
continues on uh, in this <laughs> this moment um, where we see a tension between depth and superficiality. The text says, consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has been will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. There's this tension here between um, depth and superficiality. We live in a moment in time where, for a lot of folks, the gospel is a feel-good message. The gospel is reduced to where you go when you die. Following Jesus is not a call to come and die and pick up your cross. It has become something totally different. Some of you might have seen the news over the past couple weeks where in America they've done studies on who is proclaiming to be religiously affiliated and those numbers seem to be declining. Specifically over the last eight years, the numbers of Americans who are proclaiming to be Christians have gone from 78% to 70%. Seven out of 10, that still sounds pretty good. However, on the bottom end of that spectrum, folks who are now proclaiming to have no religious affiliation whatsoever or they're unsure, that number has also begun to climb. I believe somewhere in the, the tune of six to eight percent as well. And I think at least part of that trajectory seems to be because there's this tension between superficiality and depth, where the gospel has been reduced to this very surface level thing which gives you a better life now instead of allowing us to see what Jesus was talking about in that call to follow, a call to discipleship, a call that is costly, so much so that Jesus says, if you are not able to do this, if you're not able to pick up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy to follow me. That's not necessarily a great message that um, is appealing to people, but it seems like the lack of that presentation is causing folks to become disinterested, to become jaded, to become um, dissatisfied when after accepting Jesus, life doesn't become great, where the problems that you face and the things that you go through don't become resolved because of a belief in Christ. I think that there's this tension between depth and superficiality that needs to be brought back where we can begin to see who Jesus is. And I don't wanna stand up here and proclaim that I have it figured out. But I do want you guys to hear each and every week that this is not just a commitment card that you sign. This is not just a moment where we bow our heads and close our eyes and we raise a hand. This is not just a moment where you have one experience and then you leave it there and then you continue to be the person that you are. This is a call to radical discipleship where your lives begin to focus not on yourselves and your own agendas, but on Jesus, on justice, on love, on forgiveness. And some of us, as we sit here today, there are people that we cannot forgive. There are circumstances that we cannot get past. There are relationship hurts and church baggage that are defining who you are, and in your mind, they're defining who Jesus is. I would implore you to begin to move out from that shell that you have created, to begin to chip away at that wall that you have constructed, and to see Jesus as he truly is, not as the guy that's gonna 
get you out of jail free, but the guy that's offering you a different way to live, a better way to live. He's offering you depth, but that depth comes in the midst of tension that we feel uh, throughout our lives. We also see a tension, and this is kind of uh, right in the same vein, this tension of the already and the not yet. The two parables that Jesus ends this series with, he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's a man who scatters seed on the ground in night and day, whether he sleeps or get up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. This is the kicker. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stock, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. For a first century Jew, what they would have heard here is Old Testament. They would have heard Joel. They would have heard this day of the Lord motif where the end is coming. And what Jesus is saying is, it's here. It's close. It's happening. And I'm bringing it to bear. He continues, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. And for a lot of us, we've seen how this type of teaching is. If you just have faith like a mustard seed, even though it's small, God can do great things. Or don't uh, forsake the smallness that's happening because out of that smallness, something great can, can come to be. That is all very true. But again, for a first century Jew, as they're hearing this story, they would have focused in on this last little bit that says, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. In the Old Testament, this motif was common for people describing their empires and describing their, their rulerships as Nebuchadnezzar is so great that people can come and perch in the branches of this big monster tree. It's this metaphor that anyone who's ruling that's worth their salt will provide safety and sustenance and a place to shelter from the heat of the day. And what Jesus is saying here and now is when this work is done, when this work that's starting small now has reached its fullness, it's going to be so great that the birds will perch in its branches. There's, a, there's an implicit invitation here, I believe, where Jesus is inviting folks into this story. Yes, we do see tension all throughout these parables, and yes, Jesus is talking in very cryptic language that we might not necessarily understand. A, because we're not farmers, most of us. B, because we don't sow seed usually. C, because it's just, it's so old that we don't get the Old Testament imagery that's being laid here in these passages. However, we see this tension that's leading to beautiful resolution. Don't miss this. This is the moment for us where we might need to strive after resolution in our own lives. Where we begin, again, to move beyond the things that we have defined ourselves by and the things that we have let define us, whether it's the things that your friends or your folks or whoever say about you, where you say, I'm not good enough for this, no one wants me, no one can understand what I've been through, all these things that we construct, or whether we have just begun to go in a different way. It's my hope that as we see these stories and how they're concluding with a kingdom that has not just begun, 
but we see it reaching its climax through Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection. And the invitation to us today is partner, is participate. It's align yourself with Christ. It's a call to be discipled. It's a call to follow. It is not simply a call to say, yes, I'm in. It's a call to say, yes, I'm in, and then we actually become different people. We become the birds that perch in the branches of this kingdom of Jesus. We don't often culminate talks like this um, enough, probably with a moment of self-reflection. When I was four years old, you've heard this story, I was at Vacation Bible School, and the only thing I really remember about that is two things. One, there was a girl there that I wanted to impress, and I asked my mom if I could wear an orange floral print bathing suit so that if she saw me, she would, you know, you know. I mean, an orange bathing suit, that's money. When you're wearing it not at a pool, it's even better. That same night, there was an old elderly couple that was concluding the VBS program with a flannel graph. For anybody that's over the age of 30, maybe you understand those. It's like they were little cutout doll figures, and you'd put them on there, and then you would walk away. You'd put Jesus up there in a boat, and you'd just walk away. And it would still be hung there on the felt board behind you, and that was the really uh, engaging, interactive technology of the day. But what I remember is, me showing up in my orange floral print bathing suit, which my mom has no recollection of, and having this old couple have their flannel graph Jesus, and actually I think that this was like flannel graph 2.0 because I could be crazy. There's been studies that show that men forget things uh, the more they live, and the things they remember about what used to be are, are different, but I'm pretty sure that this old couple had a light switch on there, and it was like black light Jesus. This is like 70s, trippy, black light, illuminated Jesus. And when they hit the crescendo, it was like light switch on. Oh, Jesus shining, me in my bathing suit like, whoa. It was a moment. Um, I didn't at that time like turn from my life of hardcore drug use and, um, you know, abusive relationships. It, was, it wasn't that. It was, it was just me continuing to be who I, who I was. I was in church every week of my life, pretty much. Youth group, I attended. Sometimes I snuck out back and did other things. Um, but for the most part, I was, I, was a good, I was a good kid. I can tell you those stories later if you'd like. Um, it wasn't until I was a senior in high school when I really made the decision to follow. A decision that was more than just, I'm gonna try to be a good person, it was, I wanna figure out who this Jesus guy is and I wanna give everything I have to him. And in between four-year-old Josh and 16, 17-year-old Josh and now 33-year-old Josh, there has been bumps and bruises all along the way and there has been failure after failure after failure along the way. But I can look back and I can remember those moments where I had this flag and I stuck it in the ground. Whether it's me when I'm four trying to impress a girl and then seeing a black light Jesus illuminate, or whether it's me when I'm in high school responding to a message where the speaker basically said, are you tired of living how you're living? And do you want to become a leader and do you want to become a leader by actually following Jesus? 
And I remember at that moment approaching the altar and just bawling my face off and sticking a flag in the ground. And then I remember going to Bible college and going to seminary and all along the way there's like these little flags that have been planted. I think my idea of, of this has led me astray from the altar call sort of moment because for me it's not one time, it's all these different moments where the message of the kingdom and the message of Christ has been so confirmed that on their own they don't mean much but collectively they've changed my entire life. Tonight, it's my hope that it could be a moment where you plant a flag in the ground. I'm not gonna ask you to respond in any way other than sitting in your seat, reflecting on where you are, and asking yourself the question of, am I being defined by my past and what people have said about me? Am I scared of committing myself? Have I been deluding myself into thinking that I'm in when really I'm out? Am I the type of person that wants to be perched in the branches of the kingdom and not sitting there relaxing, but inviting others in and being an advocate for justice and grace and mercy and forgiveness? Is tonight potentially the night where you want to partner, where you say it's not about me, it's about something much bigger than me, something that started as a mustard seed and it has grown out of control for thousands of years and here we sit and it is still growing, and it is still captivating, and it is still compelling people to enter in. My hope tonight is that this will be a moment with nothing special about this service whatsoever, but you look back and you say, that was a night where I planted a flag in the ground to follow Jesus with everything that I have.